Well, since the last time that I had the privilege to stand here, I got to ring the bell. Yeah. Thank you. For those that uh, have not been through the chemo process, you know, on your last treatment, you get to ring the bell signifying you're done. And as my doctor has indicated, the, the hot spots, the cancer spots we were concerned about, at least in, a, in the earlier screen, have, have gone away. Uh, we have more scans and tests ahead of us in about a month to, to verify that. But I want to say thank you to you for your prayers and your support. And know that as I rang that bell, I was ringing that on behalf of, of you as well as far as your support and encouragement and getting me through that, that, uh, that process that took place over about four and a half months. Uh, some of you have commented that my hair's growing back. That's about how I feel, right? It started to look better, but it's not where it needs to be. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> it'll come back, and it'll come back and be stronger and look right and look better, and that's about how I feel. I, I feel like I'm doing better. As you know, when you take chemo, it's about, for me, it's been about a 10 or 12-day process to, to work through that, to, to begin to feel better and to regain stamina and energy and and my day 10 was on Thursday, so I, I took some time off, as you're aware, over these last couple of weeks, and, and I'm hopeful that from Thursday and Friday onward that I'm in, in the process of, of healing and feeling better and regaining my stamina. But again, wanted to say thank you for your prayers and encouragement during this time. Um, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter, 20, uh, chapter 10, and uh, it's the passage that we just read. And again, over these last weeks, we have been focusing in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, as an opportunity for us as a congregation to draw near to God and to draw near to one another. And as we've taken this passage, just verse by verse, and even on some Sundays, phrase by phrase, what we have discovered is that through the, the sacrifice of Christ, he has called us to draw near to him and also to draw near to one another as the people of God, as the body of Christ that we call the church. And we've seen that through scripture, that we can hold fast to that confession that we share and that scripture teaches us and, and shares with us, that we can draw near to the Lord in worship because the veil has been ripped away. And this morning, I want us to, to talk about what does it mean because of what Christ has done for us, what does it mean to draw near to God and to each other through love and good deeds? Verse 24 says specifically that we are to consider how to stir one another, to encourage one another, to motivate one another to love and good deeds. So if you would, as we begin the, the first part of this passage, to understand what does it mean to draw near to God and what does it mean to draw near to each other as we consider. What's the last thing that you really considered? Did you spend a lot of time this morning or, or last night considering whether or not you were going to come to church or considering what you were going to wear? Was the biggest decision you made yesterday whether uh, was to consider whether to, to buy the game or to listen on the radio? What, what, what have you considered lately? And more specifically, what have you considered in light of the kingdom of God lately? What have you considered 
in light of your relationship with Christ and, and in relationship with the body of Christ, his church, what have you really and honestly and thoughtfully taken the time and made the effort to consider seriously in the kingdom of God, the things of God? When was the last time you considered? Many of you are familiar with the story of William Wilberforce of the 18th century. He particularly, his work was, was a particular focus and interest in England in the late 1700s. He talks about the great change in his life. We might call that a conversion experience. We might call that the, the time in which we invited Christ into our life to be our Lord and Savior. But listen to the words of William Wilberforce as he describes this great change in his life in a culture where, maybe like our culture, where religion had just become uh, another thing to do, where, where the influence and importance of religion and culture had lost its means. In fact, those who seriously followed Christ, those who seriously pursued their religious convictions were often looked at funnily and, and without any seriousness. Are, are you kidding me? Are you serious about that relationship with God through Christ? Wilberforce said that when he came to believe with his whole mind that what he thought had been false was indeed true, that the God of the Bible existed that Jesus existed and was the promised Messiah, and that the scriptures were not filled with silly old myths, but rather contained truth itself. He came to this place in this great change and this great decision. He asked the question, what will I do about this great truth that I have encountered? Because he could not reconcile his way of life and the way of life of those in the, in the circles that he ran with this truth that he had come to believe about God through Jesus Christ. So, William Wilberforce took time to consider. He took time to give scrutiny to his life and to give scrutiny to the scriptures and the truths that it taught. He, he took time to offer very careful consideration, a concentrated attention to his life and to his faith. You see, this verse, this passage is a strong appeal to us from God to gather together as the people of God, certainly individually but also corporately, for the purpose of considering the ways of thoughtfully considering the ways in which we might offer deeds of love, and, and to better define that in our culture of selfish love, and unselfish sacrificial love, deeds that reflect that kind of love, and goodness to others. Church, we must spend time thinking about, discussing, considering, contemplating the ways, the habits, and the practices of good deeds. I love the way the message writes and, and, and translates this, this first part of this passage. The message says this. Let's see how inventive we can be when it comes to love and good deeds. Peterson in this tran translation picks up on the creative nature behind God. In other words, let's see how creative, let's see how imaginative, let's see how inventive we can be when it comes to reaching out to others with loving good deeds within our church and within our community as well. 
So Wilberforce took this time to consider, to ponder, to meditate on what the scriptures meant to his life and what following Christ meant to his life. And he came out with this thought and he came out with this, what we might call life mission or life passage, life commitment, when he said this, God Almighty has set before me two great objectives, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. He sat, he pondered, he considered, he prayed, he meditated, and God revealed to him that from that time forward, his life, his career, everything about him would be focused on the suppression of the slave trade and on what he called the reformation of manners. So in 1787, when, when he had this revelation, this great change came upon him, Wilberforce committed his life to the abolition of the slave trade and secondly to reforming society. Now the reformation of manners in the 18th century did not consider which fork to use and where to place the napkin on the, on the dinner table. Rather, this referred to the recognition that it was only the good news of Christ, it was only the gospel that could bring reformation to the social ills of the day, which in Wilberforce's day included child labor issues in which children were being abused and misused daily, rampant alcoholism, sex trafficking, public hangings and dissections, and public exhibitions of the cruelty to animals, wild animals and fighting and all that would come behind that. And so Wilberforce committed himself not just to the abolition of slave trade and of slavery, but also to addressing the social ills of his society as what we would call a legislator, as a member of the, the House there in England, in Parliament, he worked to try to move forward in those issues. Likewise, we as followers of Christ must learn to draw near to God and to each other as we commit ourselves to seriously considering the things and the ways of God and how we can live them out through the love and kindness and good deeds that God would put before us. We are called to draw near through consideration. But we're also called to draw near to God and to one another, as this verse indicates, by stirring one another. It's a beautiful and powerful word picture. In 1787, William Wilberforce went about stirring his church, his friends, his neighbors, his colleagues in Parliament into making these changes and into addressing the heart change that was needed in England. And of course, over his lifetime, William Wilberforce's love and good deeds changed the heart of that nation and eventually spoke and changed the heart of the world by first outlawing slave trade in 1807. Did you pick that? It took him 20 years. He committed to the abolishment of slave trade for 20 years, in, enduring initially the ridicule, particularly of the, those that were invested economically in the slave trade. And yet he had perseverance and long-suffering, and even through terrible bouts with poor health and health issues that battled him for the rest of his life, he remained faithful because he had considered deeply what God was calling him to. Wilberforce died in July 
In fact, on July 29th, 1833, days after the House of Commons in England outlawed slavery, not just the slave trade, but outlawed slavery. Three days later, on August 1st, the House of Lords abolished slavery in England. What a fitting tribute in the last days of this man's life. The picture of all human beings being considered equal became a reality in his country because God had stirred him to love and good deeds after he considered what the gospel meant for him in his life. Stirring. Stirring is a picture of what should be happening in the church. I brought with me, Wilson, can I get you to bring me that jar right there in front of you? You just happen to be sitting there, so thank you. Anybody recognize one of these jars? I hope you did. Choir, yeah, pretty good stuff, huh? This was a jar that Miss Suzette gave out to our Vacation Bible School volunteers and workers. And as you can see, it contains layers of oats and chocolate chips and white chocolate chips and brown sugar and other kinds of sugar and flour. And what you do is you take this home, you dump it, you add a little egg, you add some oil, you mix, mix it together, you stir it together, add a little heat, and oh my, good stuff. What a powerful picture of what, what the scriptures is calling us to do. It's to stir one another, the body of Christ with our different experiences and interests and abilities and talents, is God is calling us to come together and through, through contemplation and through consideration to stir our lives together in such a way that we can offer something greater to the world around us than just some oats and chips and sugar. You know, by themselves, they're not near as good, are they? In fact, some of you wouldn't, you wouldn't even want to try by themselves. What a picture. We are to draw near to God and to each other through stirring, through the stirring of one another. Wilberforce allowed his life to stir those around him so that they would also capture the vision and picture of what it meant to live out this idea that we are all created in the image of God. And that slavery is incompatible with that issue. What are the, the conversations? What are the things that, that we should be contemplating? How are we to be being stirred together as a congregation so that something greater can begin to take place? I'm going to sit this right here. Hopefully, I don't have to clean something up in a minute. We must always be about becoming more together then we are apart. This idea of stirring one another to love and good deeds it is a common theme, especially throughout the New Testament. Let, let me share a couple of Paul's passages. Paul writes this, and he's picking up on the same thing the writer of Hebrews is doing. Earlier in Hebrews, in verse um, 20, he talks about the new and living way. The new and living way in Christ. The new and living way, which is this way of doing good deeds and stirring and, and stimulating and, and motivating one another to good deeds and to love. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. We are the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, 
which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2.10, we are called to love and good deeds. 2 Timothy 3.16, Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for every person so that the man or the woman of God may be adequate and equipped for good works. Even James gets in on this theme and idea when he says, I will show you my faith by my works. You foolish person, faith without works is useless. We're called to good works, to to give our coat, to share with others. And James says, we demonstrate our faith through our good works. Again, that's James chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. So church... This passage invites us, this passage exhorts us to consider, to stir, to love in good deeds. So what have you considered lately? What has been stirring in your heart lately? The issue of abortion is an issue that some would say has been forced upon us as a church through aggressive tactics, disturbing pictures. But the reality is, is this is a reality of life that we must be aware of and that we must respond to. Particularly want to share some thoughts maybe to, to, to our teenagers, to parents who are dealing with this with their children. A few weeks ago, we handed out Bibles to our children, to our first graders and our sixth graders, and we told them to hold on fast to this confession, and and we told them to hold on tight and to study and to understand Scripture and to, to practice that and live that out. And so I want to offer three principles today that I think come from Scripture, and I understand that as we deal with this particular topic that it's a very emotional topic that has affected and maybe even continues to affect some of us at a very deep, deep level. So I want to share three principles, and I want to share some verses that go along with that. The first principle that I want us to consider is the principle that we are called to honor life in and out of the womb. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. It's a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful poetry of David. David writes it this way. He says, For you, God, you formed me in my inward part. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. What a beautiful picture, poetic picture, but picture of, of that life that is being formed and shaped within the womb within, uh, of the mother. I'm reminded that when Mary went to see her cousin, Elizabeth, that what was the first thing that Elizabeth responded to when Mary came into her presence was, oh my, the baby, the baby in my womb. 
has leaped with joy. I think Scripture calls us to honor the gift of life, both in and out of the womb. I had the privilege of being a youth and student minister for about 20 years. And a youth minister told me the story one day. He had gotten a call from one of his teenage girls. And she said, I just told my parents that I'm pregnant and we're on our way to see you. So he said, okay. She said, we'll be there in about 10 or 15 minutes. And so he sat down, he knew what his convictions were, but he loved this young lady and, and he, he wanted to minister and to share with them. So in those few moments that he had to prepare as this family was on their way in crisis, asking the questions, not just what, what happened, but, but where do we go from here? What do we do? And he said, I sat down at, at my desk and in, in, in prayerful reflection and thought, I, I just made a list. I thought, what are her options? What are her options? What, what is this family's options? And he began to write the list of options down. Well, you could have the baby. He didn't know any of the details surrounding the, 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 the pregnancy. You know, you can, you can have the baby. You can give the baby up for adoption. You can, you can marry the father and, and figure that out. You cannot marry the father. You, he said, you know, abortion would be a choice. It would be an option. So he made his list, and he made his list out, and he thought he was ready. He prayed, and God, just help me to be ready. And so he sat down, and, and he began to talk to the family. And he asked the young lady, just, well, tell me what happened. Tell me what's going on. And she told him the story, and, and he said, thinking he was prepared. He said, well, what are your options? And the first thing she said was, I can kill myself. Church, we have to honor, honor the life both in and out of the womb. And what this young lady needed to know from her parents and from her youth minister was that she was loved and that she was loved supremely and above all else and that whatever was going to happen as they went forward, that they were going to walk together because they loved her and they were going to nurture her and they were going to support her. Church, we, we have to honor the life in and out of the womb. What, what's the second choice? I think the second thing that I would say, the second principle, is to choose life. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 30. You see, I, I think that in our culture today, in our political climate today, we have allowed, as Christians, a false narrative to be created. And that false narrative says that you're either pro-choice or pro-life. Indicating that if you're pro-choice, you're pro-death, and if you're pro-life, you're anti-choice. And I think that we have allowed this false narrative to capture the dialogue of our nation. Deuteronomy 30 Verse 19 says this, the word, of the, uh, the word of the Lord from Moses, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. 
Church, we were created. I believe being made in the image of God means that we were created to choose. We always have the choice to obey and to follow God or to disobey God and to understand that the choice that we make, the choice to obey is a choice that moves us towards life and blessing. The choice to disobey always moves us towards death and the curse. In the New Testament, we call this choosing death or choosing to disobey God, we call it sin. Because the New Testament tells us that the wages of sin is death. And in many different ways and on many different levels each day, we make choices of life and death. And we live in the midst of the blessings and the curses of those decisions. And so therefore, I believe Scripture is clear to us that we are to choose life. Yet, life often gets messy. And the reality is, is that we need help. And we don't necessarily know what in this particular moment, in this particular instance, what does it mean to choose life? You see, sometimes the choices and sins of others bring the curse and, the, and death upon us as well. So, in the midst of our own sin and fallenness, in the midst of the own, our, our own consequences of, of the curse and the death that we live through, we experience that from others. And their sin reaps death and curse upon us as well. So how do we choose life when our choices and the choices of others heap death and curse upon us? Church, in these moments... We must seek truth and we must seek counsel in Scripture. We can hold fast to the confession that we share in Christ Jesus. We seek counsel and wisdom from family, from our spiritual leaders. And we seek the support of, and the nurture of our Christian community that loves and walks with us and does not condemn and judge us. Now, I, I want to share it. It's anecdotal, so I... It, it sounds like something that you think somebody would do, but then you shake your hand and you go, surely no church would do that. But we know the stereotypes that we face. The church that would put a red carnation, excuse me, a pink carnation when the birth of a child would come into their fellowship. The church that would put a blue carnation on the organ when the young boy was born into the church. The church that would put the white carnation when the illegitimate child was born. Is that the kind of loving and redeeming community that, that we can nurture life? It was only after Jacob, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was only after Jacob wrestled with God that God blessed him. And yes, church, we need to be reminded that from that point forward, when God blessed Jacob, Jacob walked with a limp in that wrestle, in that battle to, to, to understand and to receive the blessing, which is life. Yet from that point forward, Jacob walked in the blessing that was his. So church, we must always nurture life. Turn to John 10, 10. John 10, 10.
The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came, says Jesus, that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Church, we are called to nurture life. That's what Hebrews talks about. That's what we've been, been studying over these last weeks. A new and living way in which God works life in us. Even after we have chosen to sin, even after we have been sinned against, we use words like grace, mercy, forgiveness, redemption, and love to describe this way. You see, salvation is God's work of life in us after we have experienced the consequences of death. Let me say what sounds obvious that needs to be said as we talk about this discussion anyway. The need to choose and to nurture life does not end at birth, but rather it rises to a new level at birth. When we ask that the life in the womb be honored, we must step up and honor and nurture the lives that are impacted by that birth. At First Baptist, we are a people, individually and together, who are and must always be committed to nurturing life at all stages. Through our weekly giving, through the offerings that you just gave to this church, we support at least seven crisis pregnancy centers through our ministry partners. We have families that are sitting amongst you who have adopted and fostered children. We support and work with single mothers and at-risk children at Baptist Children's Home. We partner with Norman Public Schools to host two pre-K classrooms so that at-risk children can enter kindergarten on the same level as other children. Through Kids Hope, we mentor at-risk children at a local elementary school. We partner with community nonprofits like CCFI, Salvation Army, Food and Shelter, Care Portal, and Kaleidoscope Grief Support that work with poor and at-risk children. Our after-school and summer camp ministries reach into the community to support families and children. During the holiday season coming up, we offer Christmas shoeboxes, a giving tree, Thanksgiving baskets that support children and teenagers and families in Norman and across the globe. Church, whatever you've heard over these last weeks, you need to understand that we are not indifferent to the lives of the unborn and the born. We are invested and committed to love and to good deeds. But over these last weeks, we have certainly been called to consider are we open to new stirrings of love and good deeds, even as this conversation has been forced upon us? We have been provoked. Will we be provoked to hatred? Or will we be provoked to love and good deeds? This morning, we end with an opportunity to be stirred to love and good deeds. This summer, we had 440 children, which represented 283 families that participated in our summer ministries. We would like to thank them for allowing their children to be part of our summer ministries. And to do this, we have a gift that we would like for you, as the body of Christ at First Baptist, 
to take to them, but, but beyond just taking them a gift, committing to pray for that child and their family for the next year. Would you do that? In just a moment, as we have done over these last weeks to encourage you to respond and to move during this response time, we're inviting you to come forward. And there are backpacks here on my right and my left. There's some in the back. There's some in the balcony. And what we would like to ask you to do is to take one. Let's take one during the invitation time. If your family would like to come back and take another afterwards, some of the extras, then you're welcome to do that. But let's make this a time of commitment to take one bag. And what you're doing when you take that bag is you're making the commitment to pray for this family, for this child, and also to go and to take this bag to the family. Now there's some instructions for, along the way. If you, if there's a, a bag on the, there's, there's a tag on the, uh, the backpack that has the child's name and address, and you have some instructions that you'll also pick up. And the instructions say to take that first tag off. And then there'll be a tag that's stuck on there that has the address and the name of the child. And what I want you to do is to go and just say to that family, thank you for having your child involved at First Baptist Norman over the summer. We want to pray for your child, and I'll be praying for your child and for you during this upcoming year. Is there any way we could pray for you? And then let us know at First Baptist if there's anything we can do to support and encourage your family through this school year. If the family's not home, then simply leave the backpack on the, the front door so that they can pick it up when they come. Simple enough, huh? But an opportunity to be stirred. An opportunity to do a work of love and good deed to say thank you to a family that has invested themselves and their children here during the summer months. Now in just a moment as you come forward, you'll notice that some of the bags have a yellow, a yellow ribbon on them. They've been tied together. That represents brothers and sisters. So if you get three or four in a, like my family, if you got four, well, I don't want four families. No, it's one family. So take that and give that to those children as well. Now, these bags have been packed by our deacons as they support, as they want to be a part of this ministry and reaching out in the community. They've been, the, one of the bags in there, you can see the goodie bag in there was packed by our youth one night as part of their missions emphasis. And in just a moment, in fact, right now, I want to invite our youth to come forward that are going to help. They're going to help distribute the bags as you come forward. I want you to pick up a bag and pick up an instruction sheet as you would, would prepare to go and to offer this to the families that have been coming as a thank you for sharing their lives with us. Would you pray with me?